0: Hey guys, and welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, where I interview the absolute best health and wellness practitioners from across the globe to show you what they do so you can do it too. This is because, like you, I did not always feel that health was easy. I had tried different diets, exercise plans, but often felt misled by an industry that really thrives on you not getting healthy and always spending money on the next new thing. Because of this, I'm getting bare naked on health and pulling back the curtain to show you that... Being truly healthy is simple. Wherever you are in your health journey, I want to show you that with minimal effort, you can get maximum results and do what you love. Play with your kids, go for a hike, and crush it in your business, all while feeling great. To give a kickstart, I encourage you to go over to BarenakedHealthPodcast.com to access my calendar and schedule a 15-minute call so we can discuss what is your biggest struggle when it comes to maintaining your health. Remember that I'm a holistic lifestyle coach and that the show is really sponsored by you guys. Each of you that works with me that I am able to take on as a client helps me to be able to keep putting out these podcasts for free, so I just want to thank you, each of you, for your love and support. Hey guys, I'm your host, Nick Horowski, and welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, episode number 129. In today's episode... I interview a great friend and fellow PT, Travis Robbins. Be sure to stick around for the end of the show to learn why you can't outrun bad decisions, how to make the most of the time you have with your kids, and why PTs who are manual therapists can never be completely outsourced. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Bare Naked Health Podcast. And on the line today, I have my good friend, Travis Robbins. Travis, as you know, uh, first question I ask everybody who comes on the show, share with us the highlights of your health journey up to this point.
1: Wow. Uh, well, my health journey is uh, intimately interwoven with with yours, um, I mean, uh, obviously you can remember back. So Nick has been uh, working with me since he got out of school. Uh it's a long time ago now. How long is that been? It'll
0: be 8 years this fall. Uh, that's
1: unbelievable. Um So it means it's so longer Nick, for
0: you unfortunately.
1: Uh yeah, yeah, a little longer for me. <laughs> but Nick came to our practice and when we were small, um we had two locations and it was a lot less clinicians and at the time, Nick was doing a lot of strongman stuff and he would like down protein shakes like all the time. I just watch him. How much did you weigh when, uh, like, That's, at the most? Like, it
0: wasn't the first year I started. It was like towards the end of that first year. I hit, I was like mid 220s, almost 230 because that was when I went to nationals for the first time.
1: Yeah. So, and that was kind of in line with the kind of nutrition that, I was exposed to in um, in college. And Nick and I went to the same school and played football on the same team uh, many years apart, but... Um, same kind of idea. And at the time I was going to school, it was creatine was the big thing. And it was, it was a really strange thing. My, my parents were nervous about it. Like,
0: yeah, that like, was really big. Everybody was freaking about it. Out about yeah.
1: This yeah. So they, the coaches were kind of pushing it on us. We didn't have a strength and conditioning coach. We didn't have nutrition is like so much different now, like even lower level teams, like high school teams around here will have those kind of positions uh so it's just kind of you just did what your coach said and creatine was the big thing and i went into camp my freshman year is 185 pounds and we didn't have a weight room in our high school and i lifted a little bit um but never been in a a true weightlifting program and got my butt handed to me by 22 year old men like all fall because you run scout um offense and i uh, I ran fullback. So fullback is just a car collision with the middle linebacker. It's just over and over and over again. And it's with, I mean, there's a huge difference. If anybody has played college football, the difference between an 18-year-old freshman and a 21, 22, t- depending on how long your school, 23, 24-year-old man is a big deal. And at 185 pounds, I just, I just couldn't physically do it. So I said, well, I've got to gain weight. So um, creatine was there. I started taking it, and I showed up to camp the next year, um at like 215 or 220 or something like that. So um which is not um crazy if you've taken someone at, you know, peak of like when testosterone's hitting you and has never lifted before. Um not that that sounds like a lot of weight, but um it's not. Um and so I was exposed to that. Just eat as much as you can, lift as much as you can, try to get as big as you can. And that is the definition of, like, strength, power, um, and how how good you are at lifting heavy things. And I was really good at lifting heavy things. I wasn't as good at football. Like, I could lift a lot, and it didn't help me out on the football field. Um, and um, that's, like, the, the beginning of my health journey. I guess if you go back, my mother is a nutritionist. So she's a certified nutritionist. So um, that's where I kind of got the um, original kind of... Ideas in terms of health, and then kind of exposed to that kind of stuff, and then now we come to when you're working with me, and you, I see similar stuff to what I used to do, and then you switched, and it was like, wow, this is like a huge change, and you started, you know, coming to me with information about, yeah, it might not be such a good idea to do it this way because of this, this, and this, and obviously all the training with Paul Check and how that runs um, at times um, contrary to the the standard stuff that we were told, and in school. Um, and, and then just kind of adopting that kind of, uh, health journey is where, um, I transitioned to. And now it's, I'm kind of, you know, struggling with it a little bit because, uh, my health is not the, the best that it's been. I just, I turned 39 in the spring and I don't know what happened, but I was like, I had drank that night. It was my birthday. I was like, man, I don't, I don't feel good. This doesn't feel good. And, I, and I'm coming up on 40, and anybody that's coming up on 40 starts to think about things differently. It's like some switch in your life. Um, and it's like, wow, statistically, half my life's over. Um, I don't believe that's going to happen, but I can get hit by a bus tomorrow too. But what you start to think about is like, okay, what what do I want to put forward uh, for the next 40 years of my life? And I like just stopped drinking. Like I, I had heard Laird Hamilton, if you know anything about him or read Tim Ferriss. Uh, in his book Tools of Titans, in that the chapter, it says, "Like, do you have any health advice?" He says, "Stop drinking today." And like, nah, eh, this guy's pretty successful, so um, seems like a good thing to do. So, and I'm just trying to going through the transition of, all right, I thought that would be, I'll just go back to what I was. I'm pff, like 15 pounds overweight, a lot of stress at work, a lot of stress at home, um, good and bad stress, but you know, not really taking care of myself over the last 18 to 24 months. And historically, I've always been like, all right, if I clean this up for a couple of weeks, like I see poof, instant results and now I'm not. And I'm starting to kind of like, oh, uh, <laughs> this is this is interesting. So um, that's a really long-winded uh, answer. But yeah, I, I think we're always on a health journey, right? So unless you just throw in the towel and you're just like, well, whatever. Like if you're invested in you know, self-improvement and that kind of stuff, you're, I think you're always on a health journey. That's where I'm at right now. Now I'm looking for, Um, answers and I'm trying to figure some stuff out stuff that was easy to fix before is not as easy as it used to be all
0: right I want to go back to something there Travis because talking about being a fullback linebacker just boom these head-on collisions probably over and over uh have you seen the movie concussion
1: uh no I know what movie you are talking about though yeah
0: I was just curious like of your thoughts on that and kind of what like is there anything that you're doing or anything that you're uh, doing to maybe mitigate those risks like is that something that you've thought about or just even having an effect on you now yeah
1: huge huge effect I mean I always I tend to uh, blame my memory problems on that to my wife anyways I always tell my wife hey you're lucky you're not feeding me like my own dinners at this point like there was no concussion so this is real I'm gonna say this but our concussion test and I would know it because I would watch our athletic trainer do it because guys would get dinged up out there he would ask you three questions so where are you? What's your name? Who's the president? If you got two out of three right, they let you play. So, I mean, it was just the the technology back then was not great. And I remember I was getting some, you know, what concussions were considered then. And I took my helmet to my equipment manager, and I'm I'm like, I think the doctor told me to go do it. And he said, uh, hey, look at your helmet and the air bladder in the helmet, which the technology is done better now. But that we that was like amazing that we had air bladders. There was never any air in it. So he's like, you never put any air in this. I'm like, well, I don't, is that what I'm supposed to do? So it's, it, yeah, it, it scares me. I've got two boys, um, and I hope they never play football. Uh, I really do. I I love the sport, and it, it gave me a lot in terms of lessons, and it taught me a lot of things. But uh, I think this is this trend is not going to improve in the next ten years. It's only going to get worse. And it's a lot of people will say, well, yeah, if you so think of the life of a professional football player you probably had a helmet on when you're nine years old you've played all the way up through college you playing now you're playing professional that's a lot of years and people are like well you know I'm not a professional football player I don't have to worry about that I didn't play that long I think it has a lot to do with the age that you start and it has a lot to do with the repetitive nature of it you don't need to have a huge concussion to have injuries right I don't need to hit your chest with a sledgehammer to cause a bruise you know, I don't, I, I I can do that. But if I just did that over and over again, thousands of repetitions, like for years and years, like there's going to be some kind of effect.
0: Well, two things on that. I was just talking about this with a patient either this week or last week. And they said, especially too, when you're like nine years old, what what does a practice look like? You just get down in your stance and just beat the kid in front of you until one of you falls over kind of thing. Like you just do it over and over and over. Uh, so that's one thing like that might not be uh, the best idea It's more like, teaching the footwork teaching the skills like going through all that but then the other thing talking about the air bladder like I'm never I'm not sure if making helmets safer and safer to hit with is necessarily the best thing like if you look back like almost to the leather helmets or the no helmets like is that better because now you have to be that much more protected and you're not just using this thing as a weapon you're like okay I gotta worry about my head because if I'm doing something with this like I know I'm in serious damage work here I might be covering up for it. Like do you have any thoughts on that then too?
1: Yeah, the, the quickest way to fix the concussion problem is take face masks off and then it, w- it would go away. You'll never see it, but that's that's what would happen. And it wouldn't fix everything, but it's that's what you do. When you have a face mask on, you're just trying to annihilate somebody because your whole head is protected and you think it's invincible and symptom wise, it you know, immediate symptoms, it can be. Like, if anybody's got their bell rung, they know what that feels like. Eh, woozy. Unless you get completely knocked out, you're like, eh, you recover from it and you just go back to what you're doing. But, you know, the, depending on how many times you do that and the age that you do that, I think is
0: important. Yeah, and then the whole, well, okay, so you kids uh, you getting into hockey, right? Right, yeah. How, how is that? Like, I don't know much statistics on hockey. Like, I don't know what collisions are like there. Is, is there anything similar to football with that then, too?
1: I haven't read much about it. At his age, there's not a lot of collision in the sport. He's, I mean, he's only 10. He's not that good. So it's it's hard. There are some kids that are good that are quick. But, yeah, I mean, you're playing on ice, which is a really hard surface. So the biggest problem they're going to have is when the kids fall, depending on how they, they hit the ice. But in all of his games, I've never seen a stoppage of play surrounding some kid getting a concussion. Um, but it's this is, you know. 10 and 11 year olds, as you get further up for sure, that's going to be a huge issue, but you're, but you're right. I, you don't hear as much as certainly in the media about it as you do about football players, but in any sport, there's concussion risk, right? In soccer, there's lots of concussion risk too, is that's not completely mitigated, um, well, by the headers are
0: becoming a big thing now too. Like looking into that research, like should you really be heading these balls over and over then too?
1: Yeah. And I don't know how much you know about youth soccer, but the U S soccer has come down with uh, no heading under the age of 12 so
0: no i didn't know
1: yeah so that that changed recently even when i mean i've been coaching my daughter's team since well for like eight years or so so i've been coaching youth soccer for about eight years and that didn't used to be that wasn't around when we started and now um no heading is allowed under the age of 12 depending on where you play but u.s soccer wants you to do that um and at at that age um, I think that's a, a fine rule. I, I would like to see it even a little bit higher. It's not that big of a part of the game, just the way that a 10 year old plays a game. But, um, yeah, you're, you're, you're going to see concussions in all sports. Doesn't mean you should bubble wrap your kid. Doesn't mean you shouldn't let them play sports. Um, but I think taking a closer look at this stuff is important.
0: No, that makes a lot of sense. And I knew that we're looking into certain things, but yeah, I guess, like you said, what's the difference between just Heading the ball and just taking it on your chest and then just kicking it out, especially at that age, it's probably not going to make that much of a difference for them and not that big of a deal. Do they just treat it like a handball then, like stoppage of play? They it will. Yeah,
1: it's a foul. Yep. Yeah, it's an indirect kick from wherever the head was. Um, and then, then they just go from there.
0: All right. Well, Travis, I want to shift gears here because one of the things I'm curious about because, hey, this has been a big thing for you. uh, Kind of when I started working with you, even like really diving into the whole manual therapy realm, Uh, give me a little or give the listeners like a little bit of background where you're coming from with this, because as a physical therapist, I'm a huge fan of manual therapy combining with exercise, but like what kind of made the shift for you and where have you seen this over the last couple of years that you've been practicing and where do you see the future of maybe like the manual therapy aspect, uh, especially going?
1: I was just talking to my brother about this, and we were talking about things getting outsourced. Like lots of jobs are disappearing as a result of AI and robotics. And we're like, "Wow, does physical therapy ever get outsourced?" There's parts of it that you could definitely outsource. I definitely
0: want to dig into this further. Yeah, let's keep going. Okay. Down this, so,
1: so to answer your original question, like manual therapy. To go back to the beginning, um, I went to a chiropractor when I was in college when I had like a, a rib dysfunction. I didn't know what it was at the time but went to a chiropractor, had some uh, joint mobilization, uh, seemed to be effective. And I thought that was interesting. Um, In physical therapy school, I remember a long time ago, um, having one class where I think someone came in and showed us a joint mobilization for the thoracic spine. But basically at that time they said, hey, don't do this. This is voodoo and stay away from it. So that was the exposure I got in college. And then fast forward to Oh, probably um, like six or seven years out of school, we had a, a guy come drop off an interview. And I talk about this in my workshops. It's Super Dave, this guy, Dave, that um, showed up in his uh, suit and tie and dropped off a resume, four pages, front and back, 10 font, single space. And the rule with a resume is like, just keep it to one page this guy cut stuff out and that's what he ended up with. So he had been professors at different colleges and universities, he was on faculty at manual therapy program, so uh, the Manual Therapy Institute which is where I went to school, he was on faculty there so we said, hey, we should probably hire this guy, You know, we can learn a lot from him. And I remember the first day we had all our tables set up on one side, and it was me, Todd, and Kelly at the time which was our, our only three therapists and my, my patients started looking down at the end of the room and like seeing stuff that we weren't doing. And they're like, what is that guy doing? And I couldn't answer their questions. I didn't know what he was doing. And they were kind of like, Well, why aren't I getting that kind of treatment? And I'm like, well, I don't know what the hell the guy's doing, so I can't give it to you. So at the end of the day, we said, Hey, what are you doing down here? Oh, joint mobilization manipulations. Like, yeah, we didn't get a lot of that in school. And he said, Yeah, it's amazing stuff. Why don't I teach you how to do it? So every Tuesday for you know, over a year, we would do classes together and he would teach us what he needed, what he was doing. And then eventually he said, yeah, I've taken this as far as I can take it. You know, you should probably go do the actual coursework, which is two and a half years of school. Um, it, I took my coursework in Chicago. Another two years of essentially residency training, 420 hours underneath someone that's faculty at MTI. And that's how I acquired the skills that I have. And that that's kind of the the extremes of it, right? So you get now in, in part of physical therapy schools. And I actually teach it in some schools is you have to teach, uh, joint mobilization, manipulation, grade five mobilization, whatever you want to call it. You have to teach that in order to be an accredited program. So I teach that. We teach that to our students that come in and do rotations. We just started three students on rotation last week in our clinics. Um, and I'm, you, you start to get a really interesting perspective on it. Some, therapists and if you look statistically about 12% of physical therapists will use joint manipulation or grade 5 mobilization in their practice. That's a tiny percentage. That's going to change as some of the old guys like me phase out of treatment and some of the, the newer therapists have to use it. But even then, when I go teach... How does it
0: still go by state? Do you know? Is Can you do it in all states?
1: Nope, you can't. Say, it's um, still limited, right? I'm not as up. It depended on the... A lot of states gave that up in order to get direct access. And I'm not I'm not as good in in the political realm. It'll still
0: affect numbers though somewhat too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I believe Arkansas for some reason that's coming to mind. There's like three or four states where you can't, you can't do that. Um, Some states I believe it requires a prescription from a doctor to do it, which I find goofy. But, um, but anyway, a very low percentage of people use that and it's not because we can't, it's because you get maybe a couple courses on it in physical therapy school, the the people in the in the class that have good hand skills that naturally are drawn to it will do okay with it. But it's really it's the people that continue to work through the suck. Like you you're a really terrible at joint mobilization for the first couple hundred to thousand that you do. <laughs> and if you if you can get through that, then you'll be fine. There's no you can't say well I'm female and I'm five foot two and I can't manipulate. The person that at MTI that taught me most of my manipulation was this five foot. You know, ass kicker from Texas, that just little girl, and she was the the best one of the best manipulators I've ever seen. So you can't use it as an excuse. It's getting working through that barrier of I'm really bad at this. Am I gonna put the time in to do it and go through the humiliation of grabbing my cousin and saying I'm gonna try something on you, um, and it's not gonna go well. But just doing that over and over again, um, that's that's the tool. But it's in in terms of your question, like where is that going? I'm I mean. We've talked about it in class a lot, you and I, Nick. There's certain things like you're just not going to be able to to stretch out of, or you're not going to be able to, you know, stabilize and correct for me. Um, Well, here I want
0: to get my point on that for a second. Like, no, that you can do it. Most people are not going to take the time to do it. Like, we can give it, and this is, I think, just helping them accelerate that and getting to them to that to, to that point. Um, but then like, still having to show them the corrective exercises, the corrective stretches now to maintain this going forward too.
1: Yeah, it's it's one of the tools in your tool bag. And If you don't have it, it doesn't mean you can't be a competent therapist. It just means I use manipulation because I'm trying to get somewhere faster. And I just had this conversation with one of our students that was coming in. We went over lumbar manipulation and she was struggling with it. And even the clinicians that I was working with that had been working with for a little while, they were kind of struggling with a a little too. And I told her, you know, this is kind of a means to the end. I'm, I'm trying to get somewhere so that I can get to the important stuff. I can teach an ape to manipulate. I really can. But knowing when to do that, and then knowing what to do after you have provided that joint range of motion, that's physical therapy or assessing that assessing the need to have a joint mobilization by looking at how people are moving and saying, Yeah, guess what, your L1 is not moving. And until we correct that some way we can do quick, like, Three second mobilization. You can do a self mobilization. You can you can stabilize hypermobile segments. Like Shirley Sauerman will tell you, she's the best manual therapist in the world. She's never done a joint manipulation. But if you're a PT and you have not seen Shirley Sauerman, go see her before she dies because she's an amazing. lecturer. Um, I took two courses with her, and she says I will stabilize a hypermobile L5, and then that will mobilize a hypomobile L1, which is true. You, you, but you've gotta you've gotta teach the patient how to do it which there's some barrier there and you've got to get the patient to follow through on what you tell them to do, which is some, some barrier there. So, uh, But yeah, in terms of, to, to answer your question, it's an invaluable tool for me because it ends up getting me to where I need to get to with a patient.
0: So let's down let's go down now that rabbit hole of like outsourcing because this is where it becomes like, hey, we're you and I are chatting on Skype. Like we're not that far apart right now. We could get together and see each other. But for you to see somebody halfway around the country, halfway around the world, like this is becoming possible now. Like where do you see some of the future of that going then as well, at least outside of the manual therapy realm?
1: Yeah, for for me when someone, if I'm trying to explain what physical therapy is, we're movement experts. We can evaluate, there's no one better on the planet that's going to evaluate someone moving and tell you what the barriers to proper movement are and evaluate a patient. For most of what I do, I don't have to have my hands on a patient in terms of evaluation. So example is, my brother got an escape call with a, a guy that went to high school with us and played football at Ithaca, and he's uh, in his 40s now, and he said, yeah, I went to my doctor, and he said, uh, I have a rotator cuff tear, and I need to get surgery. And didn't do an MRI or anything, just gonna sign him up for surgery. And so Todd said, yeah, that doesn't sound right, why don't, can we just get on a call, let me take a look at a couple things. And he had to do some basic movement. He had him do some self-tests um, and was able – he said, yeah, I mean, go get the MRI. I don't think he had rotator cuff tear. And he got the MRI, and sure enough, he didn't. Um, a lot of that can can be done visually. Um, treatment of that in terms of exercise, if there's not some kind of huge joint issue going on, there's certainly some of that that can be done um, virtually. It really – in our country right now, it goes back to what's going on with insurance. Can you Do you want to do that cash pay? Do you want to do that reimbursing insurance? Getting an insurance company to reimburse you for that, I think we're a long way away from that. Um, but for sure in other revenues like cash pay stuff, I, I think you're going to start, start seeing that. And that, that certainly is possible.
0: Yeah, I think it's an interesting concept because... You could just get them set up on a camera like okay let me run through these movements let me run through these like i said you can still have them show them the test that you want to run you can you can kind of check it out and between talking to a patient and just seeing how they move for a little bit you're pretty much 95 98 sure of what's going on it's just those maybe sometimes last couple things you want to get your hands on to really like say oh okay that, that kind of rules that in but overall yeah you're going to have a good idea of that um what what do you see that being still like a limiting factor though? Like, is, it, is there anything where you're like, you know what, I don't know that we for sure want to get into this or are you like all on board with, hey, do you think this can be the future of PT? Hmm.
1: Um, I'm trying to think just in my practice how that would be integrated. It overcomes the the barrier of distance. So most patients have the barriers of time, money, distance. I don't have the time. I can't come in three times a week to fix this problem. I was given three options by my doctor. I have pain in my shoulder. I could get an injection, I could take an anti-inflammatory muscle relaxer, a bunch of pills, or I can take an hour of my time three times a week. Well, guess what most people are gonna pick? They're, they're busy so they're doing something quicker. So um, that's time. Money is, you know, health, the cost of healthcare is going up and up. So that's ever present in the patients that you're gonna see and In terms of distance, distance distances, like how far away are you and how does that kind of play into time and money? Like if I've got to spend 10 bucks in gas to go and, you know, hour my time to get there, is that a real issue? But in all of healthcare, you either pay for it now or you pay for it later, right? I mean, I'm sure you've said it to your patients a million times like, ah, I got a $40 copay. Like, Do you know how much it's gonna cost you to get a surgical correction for this? Like a lumbar fusion in this country on the low end hundred thousand dollars, high end hundred and seventy thousand dollars, hundred and seventy thousand dollars. So, you know, if you're paying out of not many people are paying out of pocket for that, but you're paying for that one way or the other. So either premiums are
0: going up, you're playing out your full deductible, I mean, all of that's getting touched into, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're a tiny company. We have less than thirty employees. Not even all those employees are on our healthcare plan. We spent over a hundred thousand dollars last year on healthcare. We'll spend one hundred and twenty next year. We'll spend one hundred and fifty the year after that. It's, it, it, and it, that's not that number's not going down. They're paying us less and less for what we do. So I'm not sure where the money's going, but it's, it, yeah, that's that's always going to be a problem. But it is hard sometimes to convince people that you know you've got to invest your time and money. Now, to avoid a bigger problem later,
0: what have you learned from your kids, Travis, about like physical therapy and movement?
1: Watch if you guys have little kids at home, watch them do basic movements and see how perfectly they do them. If you're good at evaluating movement, like watch a three year old squat or watch them bend down to pick something up. And then if you have a 10 or 11 year old, watch them do it after they've been sitting in a chair at a school for the last five years. Um, I, I, I think. Do you notice a difference
0: in all of your kids? Like, cause they, I mean you have a couple there now, like age range wise, like do you notice a difference between the oldest and youngest from that?
1: It takes more, um, queuing and correction. So I teach a lot of functional movements to my kids just because I think it's a skill that you need to have. Like, any other skill movement is a skill if, if you want to have a body that lasts a long time then you have to acquire that skill and you don't get an instruction book for that so you you need we're lucky enough as physical therapists to have specific training in that um i don't expect everybody to go get a physical therapy degree so i have to create content and and, and i mean immediately with my family i'm with them you know all day so that's easy um, but in, in terms of what I've learned from them is I've learned that if you don't make movement a skill that you continually work on, then you will lose it, and that's not something I want for my kids.
0: No, that makes sense. I mean, Cooper, my son, like he's just two years old right now, so everything he does movement-wise is immaculate, but like you said, once he starts getting into school age, like starts sitting more hours throughout the day, like I'm curious how that's going to change, and of course, I'll still always be aware of moving. Like he sees us moving all day, doing stuff. But yeah, I hadn't thought about having to still teach that, and not necessarily teach it to the younger eight, like end of kids, but probably more that like as they start to get into middle school, high school, like that's where those couple years are starting to add up now, and then we see it going forward, like college. Now I realize like how miserable my body was by the time I got to college because I had just been sitting for what eight hours a day for how many years then. And it's just like, yeah, it already started to add up. And that doesn't even, like, I, I, we're lucky enough, I think, where we can move throughout the day now, too, like, for our jobs. But some people still are stuck at jobs where they're sitting 8, 10 hours a day. Like, their bodies are just breaking down by the minute.
1: Yeah, for, for me, that, that's the big change, right? As soon as your 5-year-old gets to 5 years old, he goes to school. And what do they do at school? They sit all day. Like, that's to, that, to me, that's the, the biggest change in terms of, okay, you were able to move flawlessly and now we put you in a chair for how many hours a day and now you can't move. I don't know of any other large variables that maybe I'm missing. If someone else knows, let me know. But that, to me, that's it.
0: So still talking about maybe college here. What do you look for? What do you expect like for a young grad right now? Maybe somebody who's in PT school. Like is there something as a practice owner like they are like, hey, you know what, kids, like sure you still have to study to the boards, like pass all that. But here's some of the things like you really want to focus on.
1: Whew. So we have a lot of kids that come in and do volunteer hours to apply to physical therapy school. Um, so let's take it from there. If you're applying to physical therapy, school, you want to get into physical therapy, um, apply to as many schools as possible and find the cheapest one. I, I have opinions about physical therapy schools and how some are structured differently. But um, here's here's the the problem with physical therapy school. It's just so damn expensive right now. So it's hard to justify laying down, you know, 150 dollars $200,000, 250000 to get an education where entry level jobs are, you know, depending on where you go, $50,000, $55,000, 60, dollars $65,000. And then you're going to have to make decisions contrary to the reason you got into physical therapy in order to handle that problem. Meaning, if you got into physical therapy to do outpatient orthopedics, but you're given three jobs outpatient orthopedics and skilled nursing facility and inpatient, and the skilled nursing facility and inpatient job pays you a lot more then you have a tough decision to make you know and i i don't want to and those those jobs are needed and they're important they're just not for me i'm glad people do them but you you really have to look at the financial aspect of that which is something that i never even considered when i went to pt school but it was a lot different back then i mean a lot different like more than twice what it costs and this is only you know less than you know 15 years ago that i got out of pt well, it was more closer to 20 uh, that i got out of pt school and it's changed drastically since then. And for the most part, wherever you work, you know you're going to work under their system, and hopefully they're going to train you and have you do things the way that they want you to do them, and hopefully in a way that's proven to work, like that that gets results. So when, as in, so now as an employer, if you're if you're out there and you're a PT graduate or looking to get into PT school. Uh, I don't care where you went to school. Like, I've never once looked at a resume to find out where they went to school. It doesn't concern me. Um, I'm more interested in, are you teachable? Like, can we, you know, give you the knowledge that you need? Because PT school is tough, right? So a PT has to work in so many different settings, like on athletic fields, in school districts, in skilled nursing facilities, and, and inpatient, outpatient settings, um, there's a million places at work, so they have to teach you a little bit about everything. You don't learn a lot about anything. And the moving to the doctorate program is—I have conflicted views on it. It's great, like the PTs that are coming out now, light years ahead of where I was when I got out of school. But the cost of that is difficult to to bear for these kids that are that are coming out of PT school. So. Um, but yeah, for, for PTs that are out there that are looking to to get into it, first of all, do job shadowing, like find out and don't just do outpatient, do inpatient, do lots of different places to find out that's what you want to do. Because the worst thing that could happen is that you spend all that money and then you get done and you find out you don't want to do that. Um, that's even worse than having to pay them back for something you want
0: to do. I didn't even think that you were going to like that hadn't even crossed my mind that you were going to take that there, but that makes so much sense. That's probably the best advice. I, not just necessarily as a physical therapy uh student or i mean just if you're graduating high school like when you're and that's where it's kind of tough though too because if you're going into um what's the i'm drawing a complete blank what's the, when you just start off as a freshman you go straight through um for pt uh anyway but that's how like we did it at ithaca and um, well, no
1: schools do it like that anymore. Oh, There's that's very completely few, done now? Okay. Yeah, where where you are entry-level physical like, therapy yeah, students. Yeah. They, they do pre-PT where they'll do like a 3 plus 3 program. But yeah, Ithaca is very unique in that, like, first day you were a PT major. But most the, the typical path now, in case whoever's listening doesn't know, it's four-year undergrad. Uh, doesn't really matter what you get in undergrad, which is kind of confusing long to long me. A
0: couple prereqs that count up. That's there will, the yeah, some, yeah,
1: when you apply, if you don't have certain things, you'll have to do that. But I've seen English majors get into PT programs because they have a 3.9 GPA. Um, but there, and you have to think of the the psychology of the PT graduate school. So four years of undergrad. And then graduate school. What does a PT graduate school want? It wants your your first pass rate on a board exam to be as high as possible. Because what's the parent going to ask when they go to the grad school? What's your first pass rate? If you get all that education and you can't pass the boards, you're stuck. That's a bad place to be. So... Who are they selecting for? They're selecting for people that are really good at taking tests. Guess who wasn't really good at taking tests? Me. Like I was a terrible standardized test taker. I still think I got into get on some paperwork error. I think my application got stuck to my brother's and that's how I got in because my standardized tests were terrible. But that's, you know, that's what their 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 goal is. So you get your graduate degree, you've been to school now for 7 years um, for the most part um, and then and then you get out. So that that yeah, that's how physical therapy looks right now.
0: No, but I think that's something then you need to, it's tough to see as a 16, 17, 18 year old kid who's looking, not just again at PT, but looking at school in general, Uh, like to go get just a simple undergrad that you can't necessarily do a whole lot with and pay a whole lot of money to do that. Like that's a tough pill to swallow. Uh, So whatever it is, I think just the getting out, like the shadowing, uh, even if it's just taking an extra year and just every week for 52 weeks, I mean, go shadow a different job or take 10 weeks and just shadow different ones and then start getting into the ones like, okay, you found these interesting, go in them for a week, go in them for two weeks and see what it's going to look like uh, more on a daily basis to really get that, all right, do I want to put 200 plus thousand dollars into this uh, and what am I going to get out of it? Am I really just going to be uh, all in or is this something that I'm just going into just to go into?
1: Yeah. And now that we've discouraged everybody from going to PT school, I do want to follow up with PT is the, the most amazing job on the planet. I mean, if you're looking to have an impact on somebody's life, just by the sure volume of time that you have with a patient, like how many other practitioners spend an hour with a patient? So that allows times a couple so hours much.
0: a week. Usually.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that, I mean, if you take one PT session, that's my doctor visits for the next 20 years. That's the amount of time that it would be. So you have so much access to a patient and can have so much positive impact on their lives. You know, you're probably not going to be driving a BMW and have a 7,000 square foot house, but- it's, I mean, the the value that you can input into to your patients' lives is amazing. If you can just kind of get through that barrier, um, I I just don't want to uh, say that we've kind of discouraged people from going into PT because it's an amazing profession. And still to this day, I've been treating you know for 20 years now, essentially, um, and it's still amazing to me. I'm like I'm still going to work, and, and it's it's a challenge. And if you know any PTs that are are treating or have been treating for that long. Like ask them, you know, uh, about their experience with that, because I, I've seen other professions like I've seen orthopedic surgery in general practice. I have friends in pretty much every aspect of healthcare. I don't know that there's one that's got it better than PT in terms of like having an impact on somebody's life and having, a you know, quality of life of your own. Right. Like I've got friends that get called in on Sunday to go do some kind of surgery. I'm like, no, thanks, man. Like, that's not for me. Um, and PT is just an um, amazing profession I'm I'm glad I kind of tripped over it I mean it it is tough like you said to to ask a 17 or 18 year old what do you want to do with the rest of your life like that's ridiculous like I don't even know that's dumb I I was just lucky enough to kind of find it and this is what I really want to do but man that is tough and and it's like a lot of parents will be like I just got to get my kid into college because something good will happen I don't know about that I don't know about laying down 50 grand for a kid that has no idea what they want to do like let them find that And expecting a 17 or 18 year old to know exactly what they want to do with the rest of their life is really tough.
0: I think just that help with it though, like you talking about like just get them into college. Well, no, just help them find what they want to do. Uh, and that can carry, uh, I think a long ways, but I think like you saying though, being a PT, one of the coolest things for me uh, is also being able to like fix yourself in essence, like talking about like teaching all these things to your kids. It's like, well, you know what? It's actually nice and refreshing to see people coming in in pain every day. And it's not that I want people to be in in pain, but I can see what my life would look like in another five years, in 10 years, in 25 years, whatever it is. Uh, if I don't continue to take care of, uh, what I need to do on a daily basis right now so that I don't have these breakdowns, I'm not in this pain. I'm not having these lumbar fusions, like you said, $170,000, like to do those things. And then the recovery, no. So it's, Nice to have all of that education and really be able to uh, use it in a very practical manner uh, for myself, for my family, for my friends, and then just help out so many patients, too.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a constant reminder. If you went and followed me or Nick Treat Patients, you see what happens after poor decisions, not usually not of the fault of the patient they just didn't get the correct information but you see the cumulative effects of poor movement decisions when you're 70 years old and we we see some amazing results with our patients that come in that are 70 75 80 but it's tough it is, i would rather try to fix that problem on the front end than the back end um but yeah it, that is a nice aspect of physical therapy like you get a constant reminder of if you don't you know keep your house in order what's going to happen at the end of life
0: Travis, let's shift gears here a little bit, and I'm curious, like, just lessons learned. Like, what are the top two things that you've learned in the last two years? Like, what are some of the biggest changes that you've made, whether it's PT or just anything else in general, family life, business, whatever that might be.
1: Yeah, I think one is uh, you can't outrun your bad decisions. So I've made some not great health decisions in the last 18 months in terms of my movement, in terms of my nutrition, and it's, you know, there's been a lot of transition in our, in my family, and in my practice, like, I mean, there's constant transition in my family, I've got four kids, and they're always getting older, so we're taking on new challenges in that aspect, and the, in terms of work, like, we've essentially doubled the size of our practice in the last two years, so kind of making adjustments to that, and um, acquiring new skill sets that Will continue to help us be successful moving forward and kind of growing up as a company. You know, not that long ago, it was just kind of, "Hey, what do we do?" Well, ask Travis, and it wasn't that hard because we were all working in the same place. And now, building that structure out and finding people and to put in key leadership positions um, and giving them the tools to succeed. Like it's, it's great to put someone in position. Uh, for, in a leadership position, but it's as the overall leader of the company, you, you have to set them up for success. And same thing with movement. Don't assume that, well, you know, you're a human, you can move. You don't need any help with that. You don't need an instruction manual. It's not, it's the same concept with leadership or management positions. It's like, hey, do you have the skills that are required to um, make a company successful and helping people out? So new challenges for me I mean my, my job is a, a challenge every day from so many different aspects but I wouldn't take it any other way I mean it's it's amazing but but if you know I just heard recently on a podcast about like work-life balance I think that's a complete joke there's no balance like when you're in something you're in something 100% like when I'm at work I'm at work 100% when I'm at home with my kids I'm in 100% when I'm lifting weights and I gotta get you know 400 pounds from the floor up to my chest like I'm in 100% so um and I've kind of focus a little bit probably more on work than I should have in the last two years. And it's gotten us to a certain place. And now I need to kind of take a step back and evaluate, you know, and take some of my own medicine that I, that I give out every day. Um, That and probably the other thing that I've learned is more around my kids and just realizing, like, if you're a parent of a kid, you're, you're really, you're only going to get 18 summers with that kid. And it seems like, eh, that's not really true. A lot of people kind of stick to, you know, close to where they're at. You'll always see your kids, but 80% of the time that you spend with your kid will be done on their 18th birthday. So um, that's, you know, an average, and there's certain circumstances that will dictate differently, but you've got to realize, like, you're only going to have these kids for 18 summers. And once that's gone, they're going to do their own things. They're going to have their own lives. You'll still be involved, and, you know, that'll still be a thing. But I'm telling you, talk to somebody whose kids are gone, and it's like, it's, it's a different relationship. So just making sure that you make the most out of it and being present with your kids when you're there, which I have not done a great job of in the past. And I'm unfortunately learning a little bit late um, about this, but it's like, we went back to school this week. Like my 12 year old got on the bus. She came down for school. I didn't recognize her. Like, was, like she has always been a sporty kid. Like if you look at her picture from last year, she's got like shorts and a t-shirt on and she plays soccer And she, I didn't know she owned jeans. She came down, she had jeans on, like a nice shirt. I was like, what the hell just happened? And that was like in the course of like a year. So, um, so that I, I think that is going to be really important for me moving forward for the last six years that I have her.
0: So how do you focus on this presence? Because present is almost a different thing for everybody. Like, how are you really cultivating now with your kids now?
1: Yeah, it's learning just to shut things down when I'm with my kids. And even now, like they're getting busier and they don't have time for you. Like right now, like this 12-year-old, I'm trying to learn this stage. Yesterday she got on the bus at 7 and she came home and we ate dinner at 8 because she had field hockey practice and then she had soccer practice after that that we had to get her to. So, it's like I know that I've got this 5-minute window to be like, "Hey, what's what's going on?" Cuz now it's not just me that's busy. It's the the kids are busy too. So, every night I go around all four of my kids and I lay down with them for five minutes. We just kind of go through the day. So I always have that with them and it doesn't seem like much, but when you add up that five minutes over time, um, that means a lot. And even on days where I've been a crappy dad and I've been working and the kids have been bad, and we haven't gotten along. We always know at the end of that day, there's going to be five minutes where we pull it together, no matter what. Like we're mad at each other, I said something stupid, she got a bad grade in school, something. We've always got that five minutes to kind of to kind of regroup, and at least we have that time, no matter what's going on with the day. So I don't like giving a ton of advice, but um, if I was talking to a parent, um, just. Just take that five minutes at the end of the day. Just lay down with them. Ask them. We do high-low. So it's like, hey, what was your high today? What was your low today? Um, And whatever other information that you want to impart to them. Because they are listening and they are watching. Whether you think so or not, they know everything. And actions are louder than words. And there's no new information for your listeners. But they are paying attention. So you need to set an example and set that time with them to let them know that even if you're busy with other stuff, you know they're important for at least five minutes of the day.
0: Is there anything that you, uh, or is there anybody that you have studied, followed to try and like get some of this information? Because I think that connection that that time with your kids is like so important. Like, is this something you've just kind of just started implementing, or are there other things that you've tried that didn't work out as well? That just said like, hey, this is it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm I overconsume content. I think to some extent, some people will say uh, if you just consume a bunch of content and you don't implement, then it's not good. Um, I don't know what the correct dosage is for that, but I'm constantly listening to people that are smarter than me. I don't know a lot of things. I know that if you want to get somewhere in life, if you want to accomplish something, if you want to do something, find someone that's 10 steps ahead of you and just follow them around. And that, that has kind of served me better than anything I've ever, ever done in life. So, if you find someone that you think is a great father, like, go follow them around and see what they do and just watch what they do. Um, and it might not be, like, a conscious thing. It's just something maybe their parents taught them or maybe they saw somewhere. But in in terms of, like, learning that kind of skill or kind of following, like, where am I getting this information Uh, I think just constant growth is really important no matter what you're doing. Growth as in the different roles of your life. Like I'm a physical therapist, I'm a business owner, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a coach, I'm like a million different things. If you're gonna do something, there's not more effort involved than just being really good at that. It's just more attention to detail and more like just give a shit. Like you can't, you, you have to like be able to know if you have a weakness or you're bad at something, try to find someone that's better at it than you and just ask them a couple questions. Uh, I mean, I think that's the great value of podcasting. I mean, podcasting has changed my life. I mean, what a great way to get information out and to get all the things that you know that you have spent the last 15 years of your life figuring out. How do I get you know the most out of that without having... To do all of the education. Now, doing all the education is great, but that that's not practical. Like going to get a PT for a forty-year-old guy that needs to learn how to move better—that's nice, but not applicable. They, we need to give them that information. So, find experts in in whatever you want to do, and and just learn from them.
0: To who are the experts you're looking at right now? Like who who are you learning from? This is, wow. it's either today, so, this week, whatever it is.
1: So, huge credit to your a uh, past podcast uh, interview that you did that turned me out of that Phil Nike, uh, book, but wow. I think there's lots of different things you can read about Nike. You can hate them for lots of different reasons or love them or whatever, but man, that story that is in that book is, there's a lot of lessons to, to learn in there. But, um, yeah, so that, I mean, Tim Ferriss, um, I met him at a mastermind event. Wow. Like what a cool dude he was and like really down to earth. And, It's hard to do like when you have that big of a presence and that kind of following to like really be yourself and be vulnerable to, you know, your own weaknesses. And that is that guy's just trying to learn. Right. The whole purpose you guys think or not you guys, whatever it it can look to the public like, yeah, you know how much that guy gets for sponsorships on his podcast because he gets so many listens like you. People may think that he's doing that for money. He's just trying to learn how to do stuff. And this other stuff just falls into place. Like his whole, the book series that he did, he's just constantly trying to learn more stuff and he's letting you on the inside of it and he gets paid to do it. It's, it's wicked like smart. Like you said,
0: it's boiling those 15 years down. He's, he's taking the people that have done it for 90 years, taking it down to study with them for four weeks and then putting it into a book chapter. Like that's incredible to boil it all down into that.
1: Right, yeah, it's amazing. Like if you just bought Tools of Titans, if you wanted to be good at life, I don't know that you'd need to go much further than that. Um, He's just kind of boiled down all the work that he's done over the last 20 years and put it into a book. So you can't go wrong with him. Um, And yeah, just, just finding someone find different perspectives too, right? You don't want to get sucked into confirmation bias, which is a huge problem now. I mean, I'm not one to talk about politics, but guess what? If you're a right wing conservative or on the left, You can get all your information from one place that just continues to confirm what you already believe. Like, don't do that. Like, go watch other aspects of of what's going on. Like, for me, I ran a marathon in 2008. I thought running was pretty cool and then completely shut it down after looking at running and saying, hey, maybe not so great for your body. And what? Seeing tons of runners. How many runners do we see in our clinics? And you're like, man, this is, like, rough. If you don't clean this up, this is, like, you're causing damage to your body. Um, and then more recently I've gotten into running a little bit more just kind of going back to that. Well, looking at different setups and, you know, maybe running a marathon is not that great, but maybe, you know, being able to run a decent mile time is a good marker for, you know, long-term success in terms of my body. So, um, yeah, when you're looking into, um, if you're asking me, where do I get this information from? Don't get it all from one person or one source or one place, go and look at the exact opposite of, of that perspective and investigate that too, because you have to, you have to know both sides.
0: So if you, if you're going to go on, on both of these sides or whatever, like who's, who's in your personal mastermind, top five people that or alive. Like who do you want it to be in there so that you can keep everything well rounded for yourself? Cool. Uh,
1: well that goes, I, I love the idea of personal mastermind. Um, and I can't remember if it was Earl Nightingale or, a book that i read that you you can be in a mastermind with abraham lincoln like you totally can do that you just read what he wrote uh, or you those read about it you
0: can him. grow rich i think
1: yeah, yeah yeah exactly um yeah so napoleon hill wrote that he says you can when you build out your mastermind like and you can choose people that you can't have access to guess what i can't call up tim ferriss and ask him a question about something but i can look at all the information that he's put down and and, and learn from that. Uh, I mean, you obviously are in my mastermind. Like when I have questions about health, I, I have immediate access to you, which is really nice. Um, so I, I try to find again, people that are experts in their field that have achieved some kind of mastery in that field because they're going to have the right answers for you. But in terms of mine, like I have a, a friend of mine, that's a patient. He's, God, he's over 80 years old, And he essentially is my he is is a drug and addiction counselor, but he spent time on the plains with American Indians in the 1950s and has seen lots of different things. Like when I have some kind of spiritual question or some like life direction or enlightenment, I meet with him. If I have a health question, I talk to you. If I have a private practice question, um, I have people that are 10 steps ahead of me um, that that I ask questions of. Um, And that's a theme we've You know, gone around this this whole podcast. But if there's anything you could walk away from, if you want to do something, um, then find some of the ten steps ahead of you. But find out like what you're interested in right now. I think there's different seasons. And I just read one of our professors in college said she would acquire a new skill every year, and that was kind of goofy at the time. Like she said, you know what this year is is rollerblading. I'm gonna be an amazing rollerblader by the end of the year. And one was like wake surfing, and like just trying to find different things to to grow. Because that's the only difference between you now and you 10 years from now is the people that you meet and the books that you read that's the only difference and you can choose that it's like a choose your own adventure story i mean I don't know, i'm old but those books were big when i was a kid like you got to the end of the chapter and you said like what's going to happen like i can okay if you want to you know the guy goes down the path to the right go to page 47 or ah oh, the guy bails and goes home go to page 92 it's it's really a choose your own adventure story it's just depending on what what skills you want to acquire so right now in the season of my life I'm big into like enlightenment and spirituality. I'm trying to find out the meaning of life. I think that's a, a product of my age um, and where I am. Um, I'm trying to learn more about business and building a world-class organization, so a lot of business mentorship uh, and that kind of stuff, and my health. My health is always going to be you know one of the main priorities, so that's, that's how I'm building my mastermind.
0: I find it interesting, Travis. You just went with like the the meaning of life kind of talk, but also talked about Napoleon Hill there, like being able to talk to Abraham Lincoln. Because the first time I read that book, uh, I was like, okay, like yeah, I could just absorb his information. Uh, and I've gone back through it at least probably twice more since, and studying a lot more shamanism now. Like I, th- I wonder if he was just on that higher enlightened level and wouldn't be surprised uh just based on his success just all that he did uh where if he was just able to sit down close his eyes and actually connect with like the spirit of abraham lincoln or whoever it was that he wanted to talk to uh which i think is an interesting concept now because that's something that i'll try and do like a night like if i want to reach out and ask a question like connect with somebody's soul or whatever like i think it's much Uh, more accessible than people realize and and I think can be kind of a bridge there uh, of the gap that you're talking about. Like, okay, that's what somebody great like this was talking about, but like trying to find out the meaning of certain things, like that can be something that can be easily done too. Yeah. So Travis, coming up uh, on the end of our time here, uh, I'm curious. uh, One of the last questions I always ask people is who would you want to hear on this podcast and what is it you would either want to hear them talk about uh, or just a specific question that you would want to ask them? Oof. Oh man,
1: um, Tim Ferriss would be great. He's kind of hard to access. Um, but you know, way, we hear-
0: what would you ask him though? Like he, he he gives out like a lot of stuff. But is there anything in particular that you would just want to hear him go into?
1: I would like to hear him talk about. Wow, there's so many things I would ask him. Um, you know what? That's not. Tim Ferriss, because he he has a lot of content out there. You can pretty much find anything that he's working on. Um, who else would you have on the podcast? Let's see. Um, who do I want to learn from? You don't have it, a podcast is Jeff.
0: I've been thinking about that. Yeah.
1: So this is the, the mutual patient of ours, Jeff, who's a shaman, uh, and he walked into my practice. And I don't know if you've ever, if you're a physical therapist. Uh, it's pretty cool. You meet like five to seven new people a week, sometimes more like, and it's just one of the really cool aspects of, um, of being a physical therapist and you get and, to
0: intimately know these people. Like you're spending probably 10, 12 hours at least with them, which doesn't yeah. necessarily seem like a lot, but you can get to know people in 10 to 12 hours, like quite a bit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I just remember him walking into the office And I feel like things like slowed down or stopped or something. And I said, who is this dude that just walked in? He hadn't said anything yet. And I've never really felt like that about a patient before, but it was just so different. Just kind of the way he carried himself and then doing his evaluation, just the way that he chose his words and the way that he talked to you. I'm like, this dude knows some stuff that I need to know before he even, I even learned about what his profession was. Um, but yeah, people that like, Um, I think about that too with my, my spiritual mentor who's over 80 years old. Um, he, he knows all the information and as a student, you're constantly coming to the teacher and saying, just, I just want the answers. Like, I just, I just want the answers and the best teachers will never give you the answers. They help you figure it out on your own. So, Um, Jeff is a guy like that. Like you'll ask him questions and then he'll ask you another question and try to get you to come to your own conclusion about it and never really confirm or deny it. But in that process, he's teaching you something. So, uh, I think Jeff would be able to teach a lot of people, uh, something if you got him on a podcast.
0: What's the biggest thing you learned from him? Um,
1: so one definition of happiness is that no matter what the outcome, you're okay with it. So that takes a lot to kind of go through. I'm not sure what we can do in the next 90 seconds. But um I I get that from him. Like no matter what happens, he's okay with the outcome. And always kind of driving to an endpoint or trying to find a destination is is sometimes not appropriate. So he was an amazing kayaker and like shredded his shoulder and like destroyed it. Like he came in, he could barely move it, and he's like, Yeah, I'm not getting surgery, we gotta fix this. And my mind automatically went to, holy crap, like what am I supposed to do here? Like I'm, typically these shoulders get repaired surgically, uh, which I'm embarrassed to say, like that's what I thought. I'm like, well, I'll just do the best I can. And now the guy has gone back to kayaking at a high level and is like, through the whole process, had no doubt that everything was going to be fine. And I had more doubt than he had, which is not the way that it should be. And as goofy as it seems, I think, you know, with patients that we see, the mindset of that patient has a huge impact on the outcomes that we're going to get. Like he completely destroyed his shoulder and said, he talked to me and I think at the the end of the evaluation, he just said, man, I just have like so much confidence in you and I know this is going to be fine. And I'm like, I don't think so with my eyes. And I'm like, I'm just going to try, I'm going to try the best I can to get this back to where it should be. And uh, sure enough, like, man, his shoulder is doing great without surgery. Um, and I uh, like just, just talking to him about mindset, um, yeah, I think would be really helpful for your
0: listeners. So Travis, in closing then, where can everybody find out more about you, what you're doing, what you have going on? Uh, just what you have to share with everybody.
1: Uh, you can probably just go to my website. It's the easiest place. Moving towards online education, like we talked about in the beginning of the call, is really important. So you can, if you go to robinspt.com, uh, you'll be able to take any of my online courses. I have five courses that are up there. We're always developing more of them. I have a running injury prevention course. Um, even if you're not having problems right now, go through one of those courses. And whatever you're doing, if you're not a physical therapist, you're doing something else – just watch the process of teaching somebody something because what what we do as physical therapists, like we talked about, is you have to boil down all the information you have and give it to somebody who has no background in the field and have them be able to use it. So if you're trying to teach somebody something, this has been my way of trying to figure that out. So there are three video courses. The videos are usually five to six minutes long with um, some content after that and it's my attempt at trying to teach someone as much as I possibly can about the shoulder, about the spine, about the knee and kind of impart that information to them. So, yeah, if, I mean, my email is Travis at RobbinsPT.com. If you want to get me there, you can get me there uh, or just take some of my courses. And uh, and I think I think that would be valuable.
0: There you go, guys. Check out some of the courses, whether like you said, it's the shoulder, it's the knee, it's the ankle, whatever it is. Find out more about your body. Do something about it. Make the corrections today so you don't have the problems tomorrow. Travis, thank you again so much for coming on today. Anytime, Nick. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to head over to BarenakedHealthPodcast.com to check out the show notes for today's episode. While you're there, go to my calendar and schedule a 15-minute call so we can discuss what is your biggest struggle when it comes to maintaining your health. Remember that I'm a holistic lifestyle coach and the show is sponsored by you guys. Each of you that I work with helps me to be able to put out podcasts like this for free. So thanks again for your love and support. Finally, if the show has helped you out in any way, please head over to iTunes to give the Bare Naked Health Podcast a positive comment comment, and five-star rating. This really goes a long way in getting the word out with how simple health can be and helping to share the podcast with others. So thank you.